Welcome to the Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures Podcast. We're going to talk hunting, fishing, and everything outdoors. So pull up a seat and enjoy our campfire stories. Thanks for joining us. Hey everybody, what's going on? Thanks for joining me again. It's much appreciated. Once again, I got to apologize. I'm doing the podcast from my truck. Seems like the only free time I have anymore is going to work. <laughs> oh man, you kidding me? But it is what it is. Um, I actually went down to my other job yesterday. I took a day off from my full-time job to do some security work. So like, I should start practicing what I've been preaching about. Go out there and do what you love. But this rain, man, oh my God, it has been nonstop. If you've lived on the East Coast, and I think it's basically been all up the East Coast because I know we had that, well, by the time it hit us, it was a tropical depression. But just lots of rain. A lot of thunderstorms lately, too, like high winds. and Every time I have actually had a little bit of free time, it's been like, well, you can risk your life going out and trying to get struck by lightning on a boat or standing in a river, and that's not happening. But I, uh, the last podcast, I touched a little bit on uh, crabbing. Because I told you guys that I actually bought a crab pot. I knew a little bit about it. I talked about going to Chincoteague with a good friend of mine and you know, using those uh, two ring traps that when you pull them up, they come up around the side of the the crab and uh, you basically, it makes it harder for them to get out. But one thing I wanted to say is I since going on Massachusetts.gov and looking into fishing regulations, I was blown away. So basically, uh, I won't be able to use this crab trap up in Massachusetts. And this is what, you know, I've been stressing in a lot of my podcasts, like, you know, don't be afraid to call DEC or U.S. Fish and Wildlife or whoever the governing body of your state is. Because like I said... They're not, you can't plead ignorance to the law with this stuff. I had talked about it, uh, striper fishing, where the guy, you know, that is in my gun club, he's an NCON officer. And if you haven't heard the story, I'll just give it to you brief. So upon doing safety checks on boats on the Hudson River, this guy had a 40-inch striper. Now, the slot limit is 18 to 28. And like John said, he goes, it was just stupid what the guy did. You know, probably complete ignorance. You know, giving the guy the benefit of the doubt wasn't trying to do anything like like an outlaw. You know, because he was almost proud of the thing. And, but you got to go by these regulations. And I feel, I call these guys all the time. Another thing, too, I was discussing this week with somebody was... Uh, 
like the marine thing like it's free but you got to check it off man when you get your license because if you don't have it it's like having a DEP permit it's free when you go on their reservoir fishing and they catch you they're gonna throw the book at you possible trespass the whole nine so to me it's like you know know what you're doing out there I, I try my best I'm not gonna say I'm perfect there's a lot of stuff I do not know I've been fishing since I was a kid hunting since I was a kid but stuff changes and and here's the deal so I start looking into this uh, you know the crab regulations now if you're using like a trot line a hand line dip net um, you know small little collapsible that you know you're gonna be tending to there's really not too many regulations on it you know there might be like you know I know there's town permits because I was looking in this I think it's called Barnstable and uh, you know different towns have their little regulations and I guess permit fees and right there, there's another thing. Like, just don't get your one license and assume that you can go wherever you want. Like, it, like it was, I was mind-boggled, <laughs> to be honest with you. I thought they had a lot of regulations up there. And uh, sometimes I get overwhelmed. And sometimes I wonder if I'm, like, looking into it too much where, you know, maybe it doesn't apply to me. And I'm going to be tr going by all these regulatory things that do not apply where I might have taken it out of context. So it pushes me through at one point to, at the end because I'm using the crab pot to the lobster regulations. So I'm like, oh man. And you open up this and then, then they steer you to NOAA, the Atlantic Large Whale Take Reduction Plan. I'm like blown away now. Now I'm, I feel like I was at the academy. <laughs> it's like... You know, I'm looking at criminal procedure law. Here we go, you know. But, uh, so I start reading on it, and a lot of stuff makes sense. And weak lines, I think that's what brought me to it as well. Something with the uh, weak lines are where you have your pot attached to your buoy. And at some point, like, if something gets wrapped up in it, that it can break free. So I think it was Massachusetts. Not sure if it was there in New York. It has to be a 600-pound test line. So if like a whale, I guess, you know, would get stuck on your pot, it would break off. And then your lines have to be sinking. You know, it can't have a floating line. So it just drops down to the, the bottom of the, the floor of the ocean or the estuary, wherever you're fishing. So yeah, it brings me to this large whale take reduction plan. So I start reading into it. And now I'm like, like I said, now I'm starting to second guess myself. Do I, do I need to be here? Because it didn't sound right to me. Even though I have this bigger pot, I plan on tending it. I, I guess, yeah, you might want to soak it. I don't know how long these turtles... A lot of it comes because of the terrapin turtle, like I was talking about. In the last episode, I wasn't sure on where they were sitting as far as if they were endangered, threatened. So I did look into the terrapin turtle a little bit. Maybe I'll even get into it more in another podcast. 
but they are not threatened or endangered. But at but their you know population is it's decreasing at an alarming rate. And the crazy part is like they're protected now, but I guess a lot of people want the terrapin turtle as a pet. They're a cool looking little turtle. And I guess that they're sold on the black market. Um, they caught a guy in a sting operation. He had 3,500 terrapin turtles. And I think I think these he was selling. I gotta look into it. Either way, I mean, he he had 3,500 turtles illegally. But I know it's it's a big thing with uh, selling to the black market to Asian countries. Because I did not know this. Like, Delmonico's down in New York City is a, a famous restaurant. Um, terrapin turtles were the main ingredient for turtle soup. And it's a delicacy. I guess even still to this day in, like, Asia, it's a huge delicacy. So that's why they're so worried about the terrapin turtles. Let alone, you know, the seagrasses and, you know, the marshes, you know, obviously from global warming and, you know, erosion, all this stuff that plays into, like, the habitat. Because, like I said, after, I never knew, and I talked about it, I believe the last podcast was, like, the turtle uh, exclusion devices that keeps these things out of the crab. But, see, that's where... where I was kind of like, well, if we got these devices that keep turtles out, why are we doing away with the crab pot in certain areas? You know, like, are the little babies getting in there? I I don't understand. And when I was... I asked questions, and anybody did get back to me, I appreciate it. Um, There was... uh, There are these holes on it, and they are escape holes. from So fish go in, they can get out. As well as reading into the regulations, um, you have to have a trap door on one side, not the bottom or anywhere where you know it won't open. It has to be shut with some kind of biodegradable, like twine or I think even like uh, certain metals that'll just rust and break down from the salt water quick. And then the trap can open. So if you lose your trap. It's just basically like an open structure at the bottom of the, the ocean or the estuary, wherever you're fishing at. So that was cool. I, you know, I learned a lot. And that's the thing. Like, you know, I bought this thing not knowing, just assuming that it was just like, yeah, just buy this thing, get the right permits, and I'm off on my way. But it turned out to be a little bit more than what I thought. And now, because what happened was, I get to the point with this... Uh, Atlantic large whale take reduction plan thing and I'm like kind of overwhelmed and I'm like like I would do on most times and I've told people to do this I googled who I could speak to about these regulations and it gave me a girl's name from Massachusetts.gov and I called her and I explained to her I said yeah I said I bought this crab pot Um, I said back in the day I used to use the two ring collapsible traps but I wanted to like possibly catch a lot of crabs at once. So she starts reading and she laughs and she goes, well, she goes, 
looks to me like you're going to have to keep using your traps as a kid or a dip net or hand lining with a trot line. And I said, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, just recently, she said, in April, they actually changed it where you cannot use the, uh, the crab pot. Now, if you're looking probably more into Noah, there might be like, I know there was even like the distance from the shore. You know, maybe if I took a boat out <laughs> 30 miles, you might be able to use it, you know. But then you get into like commercial fishing. The, you know, that was the one thing I did learn in, even in New York. Once you start getting into the boat or you have an assist to bring the pot up, like you watch these shows, they have these, you know, where you put your line around the pulley and it brings the pots up from the bottom, if, especially if you're in deep water. So once you get into all that, now you need a commercial fishing license. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, if you don't know, and then you get start digging into deep, it's like, it could just, oh my God, it just snowballs. So yeah, so basically I'm going to be going up to Cape Cod without my brand new trap. And I hope that it doesn't change in New York. You know, it could change all the way down to Maryland. Because I know a lot of times, like, especially with the Chesapeake Bay, we line up with a lot of the regulations, and there's a lot of cooperative um, regulations. Because that's what I learned, too, like looking into the Terrapin Turtle. Um, you know, you have Pennsylvania involved, New York, uh, Delaware, Maryland, if I, I probably already said that, but... But there's quite a few um, states that are trying to help out the estuaries, you know, and make the habitat better for a lot of these estuarian creatures, whether it be fish, shellfish. Um, but yeah, I, I hope it doesn't change because I really didn't You figure I would have bumped into that no crab trap thing at the beginning but they talk about crab pots and then they divert you to this Noah thing that's under the lobster take so I don't know where you know where would you find that I mean like I said at one point I just I was like you know I'm making a phone call you have somebody explain it to you because like I said you could take words the way you want to hear it you take it out of context, the next thing you're doing something illegal. And like I said, they're not going to want to hear that. Oh, I didn't know. You can't plead ignorance to the law. Bottom line. And a lot of times these agencies don't want to hear it. Because, you know, it's like John said to me too, you know, with, uh, I asked him what, what they did with the striper. And he goes, I throw it back in the river. And I said, it kind of sucks, you know, because what if, if the guy was legit, like you do gill the fish, you know it's going to die. He goes, well, you just got to throw it back. And he goes, I don't have a crystal ball to know whether this guy was, you know, legit. Because even if you came up with a law like that, who's to say, like, everybody just starts killing fish and saying, oh, you know, I hooked it in the gill or it swallowed the hook too far. It was going to die. You know, and I, I get that. But I guess I'm going to be going up to Cape Cod with a lighter load. But I was talking to Tyler. He was actually in one of my videos when we trout fishing and caught a crap load of smallmouth. But Tyler just turned 26. 
And for a young man, this guy is a wealth of knowledge. It's amazing. So he turned me on. He's been up to where I'm going. Gave me a couple good spots. Um, told me about one spot where even if I, you know, I'm, I'm crabbing, I can throw out a line with my fishing rod and probably catch a wide variety of fish. So I'm kind of stoked. You know, I might have to do it a little bit at nighttime. Obviously, I'm going up there also to spend time with my wife, so. But I definitely want to uh, possibly eat some fresh seafood. Because I've been really just, I don't know if my body's craving for fish or what, but I have been. And it's seafood fish, not really, you know, trout or... I've been like craving for seafood. I would love to land a couple flounder or fluke. Yeah, that'd be really cool. But yeah, uh, I'm amazed every time I talk to Tyler. He just got a bunch of traps and he's going to be trapping. I might try to do some video with that. Built a little, uh, he's got a little shed and it's like a it's going to be like his little trapping shed. I'm going to ask him. Maybe we could do some video and get it up on my YouTube channel. Because, uh, you know, he did some cool space-saving ideas. And I would love to share it. But, you know, I don't want to share other people's ideas without that or their knowledge, you know. I'm sure he'd be game. Because at one time I looked, when I was doing my shop declutter, I actually have videos out of that, but I just never put them out. I looked into a lot of space-saving ideas. I mean, there's guys with small little shops, man, and the stuff they did with space-saving, like with their table saws. and Like that's, I made a mobile workbench for my, my shop. It's an eight-foot bench. And... Uh, it's got tools, storage, you name it on it, and I can move it. So I put it in front of my big big garage door, my overhead door, when the shop is closed. So it gives me, now I have three huge workbenches. Um, but it was cool to see what he did with this like little uh, trapping shed. Looking at getting my guide license, too, hopefully soon here. It's something I've always wanted to do. Wish I didn't procrastinate. Because I've really, like, you know, I've been talking about get out and do what you love. It would be great just to have a job that you really, truly love to the point where it didn't seem like work. And that, I'm starting to get into that mindset. I work for the government, and... Uh, just can be very stressful. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. So another thing I want to touch at, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I talk about all these uh, Facebook groups where people spewing. I don't want to say hate, but you know, they everybody's got their opinion, and sometimes the opinion is just stu you know stupid and kind of like 
unnecessary, you know. I've talked about it in the past. You know, a guy gets a spike. It's his first deer he's ever gotten. He started hunting at the age of 50, and guys are dogging him about, oh, you should let it go. And if you're a trophy hunter, that's your deal. I'm all about meat. I've always said that. You know, I try to, at the very beginning, like, I think I've talked about this. I'll always try to take a doe immediately. This way it puts meat in my freezer. It takes the pressure off. But last year, I had the worst year in ever in my hunting career. Only got one deer. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I was, you know, I, I've talked about this guy, Mark. Uh, he has that book, Reflections of a Fly Rod. And we've become friends on Facebook. And the stuff he posts is like very ins- inspirational, motivational. And I respect him a lot. You know, it's like, but somebody was dogging on somebody on a fishing webpage or a Facebook page. And Mark stepped in and he basically, you know, like, you know, I agree. It's like almost toxic behavior. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. But I'm kind of going to segue off because this is where I wanted to get to my point. I kind of want to talk about the show alone. Um, I talked to you guys. I told you about, like, I've been slacking on trying to get guests. I talked about getting Roland Welker. He won alone the last season, a million dollars. First off, before I even start talking about it, I give these people much props. They have more skill than I ever will. But sitting back is the armchair quarterback. And you notice certain, like, this is my second time watching this show. I told you I won't watch the tropical. Not that there's, it's easier or anything. It's just because I'm a northern boy, I love when people have to battle the cold elements. But let me tell you, I get it. You go down into these buggy, poisonous stuff everywhere, tropical. I have much respect. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm just, I'm a northern boy. I love the cold. I love to see people have to really, you know, rough it in those extreme conditions. But man, I've been calling these people, like who's going to drop out right from the beginning? And one guy I was actually shocked about. He he was a military vet. He talked about his deployments, how he had the advantage of... He would have an advantage with this show because they say a lot of times, you know, being away from your family, and he talked about his deployments. So right there, I'm almost gunning for this guy. First off, you served the country. Um... And, and I thought he had the edge, you know. He was talking about how, you know, he's mission-focused and you don't stop till you, you finish the, the, the mission. And I was thinking, well, this is a mission. I'm sure this guy is going to be one of our top, you know, one of the last people to drop out. Well, lo and behold, <laughs> I've noticed with these shows, when people worry about the luxury things... 
in life, they're done. To me, shelter, absolutely. But the biggest thing is food, man. <laughs> you know, it's like my ass is going to be fishing and hunting. Fishing and hunting. Even like, you know, even though, you know, at home you have a stocked freezer or refrigerator, I still like to get my meat. And like I said, the pressure's on. Like when I don't have a deer, I'm out there more. You know, if I put a couple deer in the freezer and still have tags left over, I might start slacking off and doing other things, you know, in my life. Because the pressure of the meat is off. Now, now mind you, this is your only shot at survival. It's not like you go to the grocery store. So, first thing this guy does, and here's the deal, fairness to, to his decision to do this, I will say this. The waves on this lake that they were put on up in British Columbia, because of the wind, it was like the ocean. So, if you did throw your line out, you definitely have to wait it. You know, you have to get your line to the bottom and uh, have it sit there. So this guy was having problems with his, you know, he'd throw the line out, was coming back to the shore. I don't know whether he was waiting and stuff or not. That's, uh, that's another story. But he decides he's going to make a pier so he can walk out onto it. Are you kidding me? Like, at first I was just like, what a waste of energy. You haven't eaten... But you're going to waste, like, first off, I'm going to waste that kind of energy chopping trees down and, you know, whittling stuff. It better be towards your shelter, bro. Because once that cold sets in, that's where you definitely want to, you want to move from having, like, more of a tent structure to a permanent structure. So right there, I'm like, oh, here we go. He's falling into that pitfall. So now he's in his underwear and he's trying to carry this pier that he put together out into the water. It's cold, man. Like, they are on the brink of winter. Um, the thing falls apart on him as he's almost got it to where he wants it to be. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. So now he's got to drag this big, heavy... You know, like I said, the I think it was two huge trees that were the main... You know, so he's carrying... Not only a couple of trees, but the trees that are actually used for the pier to sit up on to keep them out of the water. So I'm sure it wasn't it wasn't light. But now he's wasting his energy. You walked in the cold water, and now he's got to drag this thing back out to do a better job with keeping it together. More energy. So he's got tons of footage of him doing this, but he's not focusing on getting something to eat <laughs> so he finally gets the pier done tries like a hand line and he does actually catch a tiny little bull trout but it was small and I mean he, at this point he's been there let's just say over 20 days that's a long time man and if you've really had no good meal dangerous So during this period, he's got his pier set. He's like, I want to make a fishing pole. All right, fair enough. You know, you want to make a pole, maybe it's like those 
It's almost like a fly rod. You ever see? I think it's Japanese. Where just the string's tied to the actual stick and you kind of wave it through the air like a fly rod to cast your, your line. Nope. He's whittling a, a reel. And a thing that holds, like a, a handle for the fishing rod that holds the wheel. Right there, I was like, this guy's out of his mind. Like, really, dude? Like, you're going to try to make a reel? Well, lo and behold, I don't know if it was that same day or the next day, he tapped out. He was hungry. He said he missed his family. Which, to me, was like you're talking a bunch of crap about your deployments. Where you had the edge on everybody because of that. You're one of the first people to go out, bro. <laughs> you know, it's like... And you were worried more about it. It looked great, the reel. You know, it's going to be great on, on the shelf at home. And like I said, you know, this guy's got far more skill than I'll probably ever have. But when you sit back and do watch the show, I've, I've learned things. Like if something happened to me and I had to be out in the woods, I'm not worrying about whittling, you know, dice. or a, That's what happened there last season. The guy was whittling dice. No, I get it. You want these little luxuries to keep your mind off things. But when you haven't eaten, you don't worry about dice or making a guitar. That one guy last season, I mean, that's what happened. He was worried about this crap. Instead, he made a beautiful chair for himself. Had no food. Next thing, he stumbled around camp. He has no energy. Falls on his face and realizes, wow, I have no energy. I'm, about, I'm blind. I'm, I'm going to die because I haven't eaten food in weeks. And he tapped out. Well, you know, you got a set of dice to go home with yourself and a nice guitar that you whittled. So now I'm seeing the trend with people worrying about stuff they shouldn't. There's a guy from Idaho. Almost reminds me of, And here's the deal. Like, you see the similarities. Reminds me of Roland. All he's focusing on is hunting and fishing. He finally gets a deer with the bow. And even though he's got all that meat... He's saying on the show, I got to get back out there and get more. Like, he realized, even, even like, that's something I saw in last season, too. People would get, get a couple nice-sized fish, but then would not fish until that fish was gone. You got to stockpile, man. You know, smoke some fish. Make jerky out of meat, you know, like, so you can sustain. Because one thing I learned, too, and I wouldn't have realized this, and I probably would have died from it. That's why, like, I'm not saying I'm the expert, but I'm... I'm learning things through watching these people on these shows. Like Roland at one point, even though he had like, let's say, a thousand pounds of meat, because the low fat content in, in those, like kind of like a deer, you're still almost starving for the uh, fat. So Roland was like eating eyelids and, you know, all sorts of the lips, all sorts of stuff to get, try to get the fat. And I, I never realized that. So it's pretty amazing. And once, like, I mean, you're obviously you can ice fish, but once the, you're in that midpoint, like where it's just freezing over, but you can't walk out in the ice, your fishing's over. And you better hope that you go into a deep freeze immediately so within a week you could be out there fishing for fish. Because until then, you're breaking through the ice, you're screwed. So I might actually make this part of my podcast talking about the show alone and like I said I, I'm totally armchair quarterback and I can honestly say I've never made a, a fire from rubbing sticks together kind of a deal so 
but I, I am giving them fairness. That's the thing. I, I'm not dogging on these people, but I have the utmost respect for these people. I couldn't probably do it. I probably couldn't last 24 days. But I think my strategy would be different. Learning from watching the other season of Alone. I've seen like what people have done that has put them out. Because obviously food's a biggie. And when you're sitting around talking to the camera and you're getting great footage all the time. But you're not out there fishing or hunting. I don't know. I think that's your, you know, you're signing it away. So it'll be interesting. Because I know this one girl, I, I was, she was digging a, uh, a pit to make her shelter in. So it would be in the ground. And she was spending a lot of energy on it, you know, like digging a hole, you know. And I'm like, I don't know here. I think she's going to go down. She's got the shelter done. She even made herself like a box spring, like a, a like a a bed that's up off the ground. But once we go back to like, you're using a lot of calories, a lot of energy to make this stuff. But the thing is, she's got a chimney going now. Um, I kind of put her back up on the list. But the thing that concerns me is, she really hasn't eaten a good meal. So. Moving forward, I'm psyched to see tomorrow's episode because uh, I'm psyched to see the next episode because uh, it'll be interesting to see like if that's not going to be a factor. You know, she's been doing a lot of foraging for grubs and plants and stuff like that, but that's not that's not going to cut it once that cold sets in. You know, you're going to need some fat. Some kind of meat. But I'm really excited to see it, you know. I, I've already called the first couple of people to go down. This guy was a little bit of a shock. But once I saw the reel and all that, I was like, he went down my list real quick. You know, it's almost like picking, you know, someone to win the Super Bowl, like brackets. That's what I kind of like about it. That's, and that's kind of what I'm doing here. I'm not dogging on these people. I give them much respect for doing this. Very dangerous and bad stuff can come out of it. So I'm not taking away from that. But I just, I guess you can call it constructive criticism. <laughs> you know, we used to do that in our classes in college. I had taken an architecture class. And when we did our drawings and our, uh, our models... We critiqued them. Not to say any of us were experts, but somebody might give you a good idea and you might learn something from somebody being criticizing you. But not to the point, like I've said, on some of these fishing groups, it's just, there. you know, when you start running your mouth, it's there really is no point to it and it's not constructive. It's destructive, actually. But, so yeah, maybe I'll start talking about it alone. Because I called the first couple people. The one guy was whining about his family the first day. And I was like, this guy's done. He's already mentally out of it. And uh, sure enough, you know, he was, he was bye-bye. But it'll be interesting. They showed a sneak peek and I kind of got my idea who might be next. And that's another thing I wonder. Like, if I was to go on that show, do you talk yourself up? Or do you just be really modest? I should go back and watch the first couple episodes because I'd like to see if the Idaho guy 
where he was at when he was talking about um, like himself. Like somebody's got, you know, like I, I don't know if like they all kind of were like, this is why I'm going to win, but it'll be interesting to go back because I, I know the one guy, especially if they do this thing in an interview at the end and uh, they talk to him and it was almost hypocritical everything he said and I was just kind of like, I shook my head like, bro, you know, you talked about the advantage you're going to have over other people with being deployed and none of that really worked in at the end. <laughs> so... But guys, I'm at work, and I thank you for joining me again. Hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. Like I said, reach out to me, Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures. You know, I got an Instagram and Facebook account. Got any questions or critiques, give me some constructive criticism. It's all good, man. I leave my feelings at home. That's what they told me when I first went to my gun club. When you come here, bro, leave your feelings at home. (laughs) So, all right, guys, have a great day, night, whatever it is when this gets to you, and we'll talk to you next time. Peace out. This episode of Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures podcast was brought to you by Wild Kingdom Soap. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook.